We've been in a series in this Lenten journey um, called The Gospel to the Nobodies. And we've been reading the Gospel of Luke together, uh, many times in little bite-sized portions, so that when we arrived at Easter, we would be able to have read through the entire Gospel of Luke, but that we would have seen Jesus through the eyes of Luke. I want to invite you to grab your worship guide, if you will. And inside your worship guide, I just want to point to a couple of things. Um, inside your worship guide, you'll find a message outline that's going to have our scriptures for the day. So I would invite you to grab that and put that, pull that out because we're going to be studying and reading those scriptures today. I'm going to be inviting you to take notes. Also inside that worship guide, you've got a couple of other pieces of paper, and I want you to pay attention to the um, lilies that have been given today, either in memory of or in honor of special loved ones. And there are many folks in our church who have adorned our sanctuary with Easter lilies for today. And, and don't forget, if you bought one of those Easter lilies, you are very welcome to take that home today with you when worship is over. And you know, this living cross, uh, let me remind you, when worship is over today, many families come and take an Easter photo with this living cross. And so it will be crowded. You might want to come early, okay? After you've got the kiddos or whatever it is, come and take a picture with your family. And, and we invite you to post that to social media um, as your own witness that you were in church today celebrating the risen King. Well, we're going to read Scripture in the next couple of minutes, but let me remind you, inside that worship guide, on the very back of it is a little black box, and so this week is the final readings from the Gospel of Luke. So if you've been reading along with us, finish this week out by reading those little bite-sized portions of Scripture. And today, our Scripture comes from Luke chapter 24. We're talking about the Gospel to the nobodies. By the way, as we get ready to read this Scripture, can I just tell you what an honor it is to, um, in seasons like this, be a preacher for Christ. I thank you that you allow me to be your pastor. I thank you that every Easter rolls around, I get a chance to stand up and proclaim the truth of the gospel, that the most important event that ever happened is true, and it changes everything. Let's read about it. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and they bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how He spoke to you when He was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered His words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all of the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. And they did not believe them. Would you pray a prayer of openness to God's Word today as we will hear God's Word? Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Jesus, I ask you today to speak to us. There can be nothing more certain 
that you are alive. When anyone on this planet hears a prompting from you, senses your whisper over their life, and they're reminded that you left this world so that you wouldn't be limited in body, but that you would be able to minister to all of us, no matter where we are across the face of this planet. So this morning we are asking a a very simple but a very bold thing. And that is that you would show up here in Little Locust Grove, McDonough, Georgia. That you would show up and that you would walk down these aisles just like you did on the seashore of Galilee and that you would teach us, that you would speak to us about our lives. About our lives as they have been and about as they are and about as they might be. And we pray that as you speak, our hearts would burn. We pray that as you speak, our ears would come alive and that you would, you would call something forth inside of us that is eternal, that is greater than just today. Speak the eternal cosmic words of truth over us from your Bible, from the Word. And we will hear you, Lord, and we will invite you as you plant that Word in us that it might bear eternal fruit, not just for us, but for our children and our children's children and for generations to come, that we would be a part of your kingdom work on this planet. We are open today to your word. Plant your seed of life in us. Speak to us and we will listen and we will follow. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. It was dark. Every day for me felt dark and heavy. That part of my life, I almost can't stand to remember. You see, I wasn't the kind of woman you'd want to befriend. I bet the entire town of Magdala was afraid of me. Clearly, I wasn't in my right mind. You ask me what it was like for me back then, and the only way I can think to describe it is captivity. No, I wasn't physically locked up in prison or caged like an animal at market, though I'm certain many wanted me to be. But make no mistake, I was a slave imprisoned by sin oh, and the loneliness. It was suffocating. Have you ever been there? Facing each day with unrelenting hopelessness? But then, oh, one day I met someone who they called Jesus of Nazareth. And I wasn't looking for him, but I am not the same since he found me. He changed me and drove away my tormentors. I was finally free in every sense of the word. I've never known compassion like that before. And from that day on, I wanted nothing more than to be one of the many that learned from him. So when he invited me to follow him, 
I barely paused before shouting yes. Although, I didn't know how I'd help. What did someone like me have to offer the one who could feed thousands with a few measly fish and tiny loaves of bread? So I did anything I was able to do to help out. I helped with cooking, provided financially from what I had, anything our band of followers required. We walked with him from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. And along the way, he healed people and taught of Yahweh, our God and Father. Oh, the stories I could tell you if we only had the time. Jesus is surely our long-awaited Messiah. By the time we reached Jerusalem, I was more certain than ever that Jesus was the prophesied anointed one, and it seemed all of Jerusalem with me. Oh, what a welcome they gave him there. I wish you could have seen it. The palm branches waving, shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna. It was beautiful. So, you can imagine. Oh, you can imagine how I hardly accepted. Which is just a few days later. Oh, the way the Roman soldiers, oh, the way they whipped his body. I don't know how he survived it. And seeing my Lord, oh, seeing my Lord on that cross, oh, it's a memory I wish I could erase like a nightmare without end. I don't have the right words to explain. But please understand, no one could have endured what he did. And his life, oh, his life was not taken on that cross. It was given. And then he was dead. He was dead. My source of new life was dead. How could that be? Had he not come to free us? And as I watched Joseph and Nicodemus wrap him in cloth and place his body in the tomb, it was as if my hope was buried with him because the one who released me was imprisoned beneath pounds and pounds of burial cloth. And I had to walk away. Sabbath was coming. That Sunday morning, I got up early and headed back towards the tomb. Along with a few other women, I brought spices and ointment to honor the body of our Savior. And as we walked, I replayed over and over in my mind the events of the past few days. 
You see, I hadn't accepted that Jesus was dead. But if he was, what did that mean now for us who followed? For me, was it all pointless? And then the most, most horrifying thought occurred to me. If Jesus is gone, would I fall back into the darkness from which he found me? Was my faith in him entirely empty? But what happened next? I still can't completely understand. afraid to tell the other disciples about what I had saw. Who could believe something like this from someone like me? But still, oh, but still at the tomb, that seemingly hopeless person, oh, there was an earthquake and angels and a stone door rolled away and deflated, vacant burial cloths. Oh, he was gone. He was gone. And at first, I thought his body was stolen. Oh, but he answered that question well. He met with me and many others in the days that followed. And eventually, I understood. Jesus died and freed us from an oppressor much fiercer than the Roman government. Oh, but when he rose, he proved the only thing empty about my faith in him was the tomb he borrowed. <laughs> hallelujah! Oh, hallelujah! He is risen! Can you imagine what it would be like to be one of the disciples who saw Jesus die and then saw him come back to life? Can you imagine the infusion of faith and hope that you would have from the one who had brought you life, the one who had taught you truth, the one who had pointed the way to the kingdom, all of a sudden seeing hope decimated and then having him come back to life? See, that's the message of Easter. The message of Easter is that Easter changes everything. It changes everything for our past, for our present, and for our future. The moment that Jesus was resurrected from the tomb, beyond a cross that offered us salvation and forgiveness, now we had a promise that death hadn't, it, it wouldn't be the end for us. That there would be more than that. Because He was resurrected, we could be resurrected too. That's the message of Easter. Now, on this Sunday, like many other Sundays, we've been talking about the gospel to the nobodies. And when you look through Luke's eyes, you will see that Jesus over and over again is he's seeking out those who the rest of society is putting aside. 
He's seeking out the forgotten, those who are poor, those who have less, those who nobody thinks very much of. And before I dive into the message of the good news for the gospel of nobody's right in front of our face here in, in the gospel of Luke chapter 24, can I just tell you that the message of Easter is that the gospel is a gospel for nobodies? I mean, every week I've told you what the gospel to the nobodies really means, right? That God says, I came for you. And everybody else says you don't matter, but you matter to me. And I love you. And I know you. And I call you somebody. Guys, he did that for everybody on this planet. Those that would receive him and those that would reject him to all the nobodies on the planet. And by the way, that was all of us because we're all sinners, right? For all of us, the good news, that's the gospel. The good news is that Jesus came saying, I love you. I came for you. I know you. You are a somebody to me. And just in case you've forgotten, let me remind you that the first folks who were there on that Sunday morning were not the men. They were sleeping in bed, I think, right? It was the women. The, yeah, the women. And by the way, standing at the foot of the cross on Friday, it wasn't the disciples there watching Jesus crucified. No, the Bible says they fled. They were scared. They ran for their lives. According to the Bible, there's only one of them there, and his name is John. Other than that, it's the women who are there at the cross. And it's the women who show up at the tomb. Now, in that culture, women were second-class citizens. That's not to say they didn't have value. They had value in that society and in that culture, but because of its time, and that's not just a Jewish culture, that would have been across the world at that time, Women were second-class citizens. They were looked at as inferior. They, were not, they did not have the power, nor the influence, nor the authority, nor the freedom of men. Women, well, if you read the rabbinic literature, women would have never been entrusted with the great things of God. Women would have never been the students of rabbis. No, no law-serving, law-following rabbi would have ever invited women to follow him as a disciple. Women couldn't be trusted with the law or the truth. That was the way they looked at it in their day. But here comes Jesus, and according to the gospel, Jesus invited 12 select followers that were his closest disciples, and then he invited others, but there were more. Now, maybe you missed it a few weeks ago when we read from Luke chapter 8, but I want to remind you of something. It's not in your outline, but let me remind you from Luke chapter 8, 1 through 3, who was following Jesus. The Bible says in Luke 8, verse 1, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chutza, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So you see, everywhere that Jesus went, there were these followers of his, but there were also these women who were disciples who followed along, who had been changed by the ministry of Jesus. Now, wonder what they were doing. Have you ever thought about that? What were the women doing? These nobodies of that culture, what would they have been doing? You probably can imagine like me. They were probably hanging on every word of Jesus. They were listening and they were learning and he was life to them. 
But they were also, as Mary shared with us this morning, probably cooking and serving. They were probably working behind the scenes. If there was a need, they were trying to meet the need. They were trying to grow and learn and follow Jesus, and they were serving all along the way. One of the things the Gospel of Luke chapter 8 reminds us is they were also vested with their money. They were giving and they were supporting the ministry. These women were. Now, chief among the women um, mentioned more than 12 times in the Gospels was one woman named Mary. Matter of fact, we know her as Mary Magdalene or Mary of Magdala. Magdala was a little town on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus did about 80% of his ministry. Now, what's interesting about Mary is Luke tells us that uh, Mary was cured of seven demons by Jesus. Jesus drove seven demons out of her. Now, before I talk more about that, let me also just mention the very fact that Mary was called of Magdala communicates a few things to us. You see, if Mary had had a man in her life, if she'd ever been married, she would have been Mary the wife of someone. But we're never told that there was ever a man who embraced Mary. If Mary had 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 children and maybe her husband had passed away, Mary would have been called Mary the mother of, but we're never told that either. So Mary more than likely never had a husband, never had children. She was Mary of Magdala. That was the town she was from. And we are told that Jesus cured her, drove seven demons out of her. Now, you know what that tells me? That tells me that Mary was one of those people in the town who was probably very problem. She was a problem person. As a matter of fact, if you knew Mary personally while she lived in Magdala before she met Jesus, you'd probably said of Mary, Mary's that one, you know, she's just not quite right. You know, that's Mary, okay? You ever known somebody like that not quite right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's Mary. Mary's not quite right. And can you see why no man would have ever come after Mary and loved Mary and married Mary and why she might not have ever had children? Because Mary, Mary wasn't quite right. But what's interesting is that Mary and these other ladies are there at the tomb. They're there at the cross. They're there all during the ministry, but they're also there at the most pivotal moments that changed history. Jesus cared about people that other people say they don't matter. Jesus cared about the nobodies. And so when those ladies come to the tomb that morning, get the picture. When they come to the tomb that morning to serve Jesus, I mean, they've been weeping. It's, they've got heartache in their life. They have experienced death of somebody very close to them. They are broken, but they're coming to serve. They come, with their, they come to serve. The Bible, one, of the, one, of the, one of the Gospels says they come even before it's daylight. They come in the dark. They arrive early in the morning. They're going there to prepare his body. And when they get there, the stone's been rolled away. Now, the first thought that they probably would have had is, what has happened here? Something's going on. They might have even thought somebody was trying to steal the body. But when they come in, they find the garments that he'd been wrapped in, his burial cloths laying there, and there's nobody. To them, that would have communicated that somebody's taken Jesus away. I mean, literally naked. They've taken his body away, and there's nothing left but the cloths immediately they would have mourned together. They would have known together that something has happened here. And their first assumption would not have been that he has risen. But then they get the moment, right? Angels. They bow down, they're afraid. And the Bible says over and over again that fear is not of God. And so the angels look at them and say, wait a minute, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is risen. He told you he was going to do this. It was like the angels were saying, if Jesus said it, you know it was true. 
But sometimes the disciples, and we do too, we have to be convinced of it multiple times, right? Now, what's interesting about this one that was not quite right, that Jesus made right, Mary, Mary actually, according to the Gospel of John, has a moment with Jesus. Jesus is in the garden. You remember that moment? And Jesus said, actually steps back and he says, don't touch me for I've not yet ascended. But he calls her by name. He says, Mary. So Mary ends up being, and these other ladies more than likely, they end up being the very first people to ever see the resurrected Christ. And not only that, they, be, they become the very first people to go and share the good news that Jesus is alive. They become the first witnesses of the resurrection, but they not only become that, they become the first preachers of the resurrection when they go back. And when they go back, you read the scripture this morning, right, from Luke chapter 24. When they share it with the disciples, the Bible says it's like an idle tale to them. They, they hear it, but it's, they can't even believe it. This sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds like a story. And by the way, if you knew Mary, you'd probably, you know, she's not quite right. Can we believe everything Mary says, right? Seem like idle tales to them. They did not believe. Now, if you only could understand the power of what I just shared with you, you would understand there is great scandal in a God who chooses to let women be the one who are the first witnesses of the most important thing that happened on the planet. You would find the great scandal of letting women be the first evangelist, women be the first apostles. But you see, this is the God the God who has good news for the nobodies. He says to every nobody, I know you. I came for you. I love you. You are somebody to me. Well, let's talk about Easter and why it's so important. Why is Easter significant? If you have your pen, I'm inviting you to write some notes down. Maybe you'd write something that I say. Maybe you'd write something that is the God whisper that I don't say that's the far more important thing to jot down. But the first thing I'd invite you to write maybe in your notes section is simply this, that Easter vindicates everything Jesus said. Easter, the fact that he accomplished the tomb and was resurrected, it vindicates everything he said because Jesus spoke truth. And sometimes that truth was really hard to believe. Like, you know, uh, they're going to crucify me and they're going to they're, they're going to bury me. And three days later, I will rebuild this temple. I mean, things like that. Sometimes Jesus would talk. and I think the disciples had to just walk away going, oh, that's just Jesus talk. I don't understand it. You know, that's just Jesus. But the truth of the matter is Jesus. And when he accomplished what he did on the cross without sin, he who, be, who was no sin became sin for the world. And then he went to the tomb and the resurrection happened. It vindicated everything that he had said, that he was the son of God that he had come to, to make peace with God and to make a way back to the Father. Not only did Easter vindicate everything that Jesus said, another thing is that Easter proves his identity as the Messiah. Paul said because of the resurrection, we can know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, come to save the world. Now, if there is no Easter, if he's just another guy that died and he's stuck in a tomb and, and his body wastes away, if he's not really who he said he was, then, then we haven't seen Messiah yet. But according to Paul, the resurrection makes all the difference. The resurrection is, is him accomplishing what no one else could ever do. He is the Messiah sent from God. He is the one who would accomplish more than anyone else could by defeating death and the grave. And here's another thing important. I'm going to drive home on this one a little bit deeper. 
Easter, another thing that Easter does, write this one down. Another thing that Easter does is Easter speaks to this life and the life that is to come. Easter points us to how to think about this life and the life that is going to happen one day. You know, I'm getting a little bit older now, right? Anybody else feeling that way? Or am I it? Okay. All right. Yes, you say yes and amen, right? As I get older, one of the things I realize, and I've heard it all my life, but boy, am I starting to experience it. Life is getting faster. You know what I mean? Life gets faster and faster and faster. This year, it seems, it seems just like a little while ago, I had little small kids, and now I've got a 22-year-old and a 20-year-old and about to be an 18-year-old. I've got these kids, and, and, I, and I, let me tell you, if the last 22, 20, and 18 years of their lives have gone fast, I know the next 22 and 20 and 18 years are going to go even faster. And the truth of the matter is, one of the things that Easter reminds us of is that this life, it moves fast. And, and God wants us to understand how Easter changes our background and our sin problem and where we are today to give us mission and hope and a purpose for the future and what it promises us for tomorrow. Listen to the words of Jesus. They're far better than my words. Here's what Jesus said about you and me and the bodies we have and the bodies we will one day have. Jesus said, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, and by the way, your body is a tent. Yesterday we had a funeral, and I reminded everybody there, your body is just a temporary thing, okay? Tents aren't made last, to last forever, right? If, if, if the body that you have, the earthly tent, we live in is destroyed. Shake your head up and down. Will it be destroyed one day? Will your body go away? Yes, every one of our tents will go away. If it is, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Those were the words of the Apostle Paul. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that's because of Easter. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, because I live, you will live also. That's what he was communicating. Now, he hadn't even gone to the cross yet, but what he was communicating was uh, in, ahead of time, because I live, you can live also. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives in, by believing in me will never die. He even, I should have put the rest of the scripture there. He looked at the woman he was talking to by the well, and he said, do you believe this? Do you believe it? I'm the resurrection and the life. See, what Jesus was saying was Easter changes everything. If it's true, if he really is the resurrection and the life, by the way, nobody else can say that. If that's true, it changes everything for us. Jesus said right before he left the planet, he said, I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come back, and I will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And then I love this. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, what we call the resurrection chapter. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That's the power of Easter. Easter points to the life that is to come. Now, here's what I want to share with you. You know what that means? That means that for, for those of us who know we're living in an earthly tent, but we've trusted Jesus and that he is the resurrection and life, and we can answer the question, yes, I believe it. Yes, I believe that if I believe, I will never die. If we can say yes to that, it means that when we journey through this life, we're not moving through with fear. I'm wondering what's it going to be like at the end and what will happen afterwards. You know, there's so many people, if you haven't figured this out already, there's a lot of people on this planet who are afraid of death. 
There are a lot of people on this planet who are doing everything they can to stop death. There are people spending massive amounts of money because they just want to prolong life as long as they can because they really don't understand the end game. They don't understand the end game. The end game, according to Jesus, is that because I live, you'll live too. The end game is that when this life is over, it's just a little small pause. It's a comma, so to speak. And that you will step in into an unchangeable eternity that's been created for you. And the greatest chapters are, are not back there. Let me promise you that. The greatest chapters are in front of you for those who believe in Christ. See, that's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I, I'm, building an, I'm building something far greater than the tent. I'm going to give you an eternal body. I'm going to give you an eternal home. You're going to have presence. You're not going to have sorrow or pain. This is the promise for those who believe in me. And, and, and when you really understand Easter, it begins to point to the life that is to come. It speaks to this world and, and the life that is to come. And you don't have to journey through life afraid, holding everything you can down. I'm afraid one day I'm going to die. That's not the way it has to be. Can I tell you one of the great joys of being a pastor? I've seen so many saints of God who some of them were younger in the faith than me. I became a Christian before they did. And they were approaching those final days of their life. And I've seen some of the greatest saints of God right out of this church. And when they were marching towards that end, they did not march forward without hope. Oh my goodness, if you know C.J. Smith, let me tell you, C.J. marched forward with faith. He knew that on the other side, God would take him like that. And he knew that he was walking into a promise and inheritance. His faith was strong. His hope was strong. And when C.J. ran the last leg of his life, he didn't run it with fear. Like, okay, at the very end, it was just going to be a candle snuffed out, and that's the end. You understand, for some people, that's the way they think, oh, that's it. Ah, my life's over. Let me tell you, that's not Easter. Easter is, we go to sleep here, we wake up there, and it's the biggest and it's the best that's yet to come. I've seen so many people like that in our church. I, could, I, I hate to even begin to name names, but J.L. McCullough and these other, there's so many people who came to the end and said, this ain't a sad thing, this is a good and glorious thing. They knew the promise of Easter and they knew the promise of heaven on the other side. And here's what I'm here to tell you. If you, you came to church here today to hear a good news and a good message, you can live with hope. You can live with purpose. And you don't have to walk the last few days, the last few breaths on this planet with fear. You can run to the end because you know at the end it's just a small pause. And then you launch into the greatest chapters that are ever going to be written of your life, your life forevermore, right? Here's another thing you might want to write this one down. What else does Easter mean? What's the significance of Easter? Easter speaks to how we face suffering and evil and tragedy in this world. Easter speaks to that. And by the way, you have and you will experience evil and suffering. You will experience, we live in a world that's broken. That's just the truth. I mean, there's war, there's division, there's pain, there's heartache, there's betrayal. You're going to have stuff happen to you that is hard, bad stuff that you didn't deserve, that you didn't bring on your life, but it's there. That's us. There's not a person here who can shape it. Jesus said it, who can shake it. Jesus said it this way, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Whether you're old, middle-aged, or young, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And see, what Easter does is it changes the frame. It changes the, the lens by which we look at evil and suffering in the world. This past week, in our church, we, we lost a couple of folks that we just we shouldn't have lost. We lost a young lady named Bethany who was 27 years of age for the last two years, been battling 
a tent that was just given up on her. She turned 27, and two days later, she breathed her last breath. She had faith in Christ. She entered into an unchangeable, eternal glory. But yesterday, we held the funeral here at 6 o'clock, and we were with that, the family here, and there were so many people who came out for, for Bethany's funeral because everybody knows, listen, everybody knows that a 27-year-old who passes away, that just shouldn't be. See, we live in a broke world. You see the broken world we live in? Yesterday morning, I got the phone call that a, that a man who has led our Narcotics Anonymous ministry here at this church named Tom Chafin, many of you know Tom Chafin, that Tom Chafin breathed his last. That Tom Chafin was an addict. Tom Chafin had, had gone through the hardest that this life can throw. He had been chained by drugs. And Tom had found a higher power through a 12-step program, and he met Jesus. Tom was freed. For years and decades, Tom began to go back into that captivity of addiction and pull people out. But here's what you need to know. If anybody knew we had a broken, upside-down, messed-up world, it was Tom Chafin because it had held him in bondage, not vastly different from Mary Magdalene until Jesus came into his life and freed Tom. But you know what? Two, just yesterday morning, I wish, I wish Tom didn't have to leave this planet. Don't you know his family is mourning? Don't you know his family and his, his kids and his grandkids, don't you know they have great loss? But see, here's the deal. Easter changes the lens of how we experience death and suffering and evil and wickedness in the world. I mean, you understand this, right? If you, are, if you don't understand the power of Easter and if you don't have an understanding that at the end of this life, another life begins that is far greater and far more glorious, then in this life, your lens is that this life is only for this life and that the wickedness and the evil, that they win the day. That they're going to win the day. And that, and that where is God in this whole thing? And, and why would He allow this to happen? But with Easter, all of a sudden, we see that something that is horrible and wicked, God can take it and change it and use it for that which is good. God never planned it that way. And Mandy, God never planned for Bethany or you or for me or for our tents to waste away like this. That wasn't his plan. We chose our way. We bit the apple. And because of that, we live in a hurting, backwards, upside down, fallen world. In the last week, let me tell you some cool things. I sat in a hospital room with Peggy Chafin and we talked about Tom and his faith. And I reminded her of Tom's defining story. Tom's defining story is that he's a sinner saved by grace. He'd been rescued from addiction by Jesus Christ, and he'd gone back into that addiction over and over again to pull people out. Tom's defining story wasn't bondage. It wasn't addiction. It was, I've been saved by grace. Jesus set me free. And so when Tom left this planet, when he breathed his last, you know what Tom's defining story did? It, it, it speaks into the future that he had. Tom understood we live in a fallen world, but God takes that which is horrible and uses it for good. I sat in my office with that family of, of Bethany, and, and I asked them, what scriptures would you like read at Bethany's funeral? And they said, they said two things. They shared four scriptures, but two of them just blew me away. One scripture was, they said, we don't know where to find it, but I want you to remind everything 
everybody that the Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not height, depth, power, demons. Nothing can separate us from God. Not even death. See, that what they were saying was we know the power of Easter. The power of Easter is that nothing can keep us from Him because He's triumphed over death in the grave. And then they said this. And so we want you to read that scripture again. We don't know where it's found, but it says, we don't grieve like the rest of the world. We grieve because we, we grieve differently because we have hope. We have hope because we believe in the risen Christ that we will see her again. See, guys, <laughs> let me go back. Easter proves that everything Jesus said is true and right. Easter shows us that He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. But then Easter speaks into this life about how we run towards the end. And then when we experience suffering and evil in the world, it reminds us. We don't have to, we don't have to look at it through the lens of the rest of the world. We can look at it through the lens of a God who takes that which is horrible and turns it beautiful. Through the lens of a God who, who we have hope in because He triumphed over death and the grave. I'll say it differently. For those of you in this room who understand what Easter is about, you understand that on Friday it looked like everything was lost. But Friday ain't the last day. Friday is just a day of loss and death. Sunday's a coming, right? Sunday's on the way. Sunday will be a day of resurrection. And let me say it this way. Death, for those who are found in Christ, will never have the last word. Matter of fact, Jesus has every word. Death will never have the last word. And death and, and hatred and envy and strife division and war, famine, hunger, disease, all of those things which are broken about our planet, they will never have the final word. For Jesus has the final word. And that which was evil and that which was broken and that which is wrong, it will never be the last thing. Now, did you hear what I just said? Big Mama, let me tell it to you personally. That thing that everybody worries about, that thing that everybody, well, what's it going to be like one day when I pass away? You know what? Here's what I can tell you. You don't have to worry. Because the worst thing is never the last thing. The worst thing that you'll ever go through will never be the last thing if you found in Jesus. Because the greatest thing is still to come, right? So Mary... Mary, she was bound, and she was set free. And then I love the drama this morning. She probably felt bound again when she lost her hope. But then he showed back up. And see, that's the power of Easter. He's going to show back up for you. He's going to show back up for me. He said that, I'm going away to prepare a place. I will come back for you. That's what I do. I will come back for you, that you may go and be with me. Final word. Jesus spoke it long ago, but it's life for me and you today. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet they will live. And those who believe in me will never really die. Do you believe this? You know, there are many of us who can say with an affirmative, yes and amen, I've staked my life on it, right? I just want to invite you on this Easter Sunday morning, if you would say, I don't know, I don't know, 
just, you know, children do it. Four-year-olds and six-year-olds do it so you can do it too. All you have to do is say, best I know how. I believe. And you can run towards the end, not with fear, but knowing the greatest chapters are in front of you. Would you pray with me? I just want to invite you under your breath to pray a very simple prayer with me. And what better thing than to have everybody in the whole house pray this prayer of faith together. So whether you're already a, a person who calls yourself a follower of Christ and a believer and you've already, you know that you believe He's the resurrection or whether you're a person yet who says, I'm not quite sure, together, why don't we all pray this prayer of faith? Jesus, I come to You. I come to You with my whole heart today, the best I know how, trusting that You're the God who loves nobodies and that You would say to every nobody that's ever walked this planet, including me, you would say, I love you, and I know you, and I came for you. You matter to me. You are a somebody. And today, the best I know how, I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. I ask you to give me eternal life. I ask you to help me understand because of that, that I don't have to move through life with fear. I can move through life with confidence and hope that you are the saving one. And that I can know that at the end of this life, when I breathe my final breath, it's just a pause. It's like a comma. And I will move into the greatest chapters that are there. I'm believing it, Lord. I'm staking my life on it. I trust in you, Jesus. I trust in you. Have me. Have my life. I give myself to you. Hey, church, look up at me, if you will. Can you say amen? Did you know Easter just changes everything? It does, doesn't it? Hey, would you stand to your feet with me? You guys can't play this because I didn't tell you about it, all right? Um, I have all week long had a song on my mind. And uh, some of you have never heard this song before. You had to live back in the 70s, I think, to know this. And, uh, but there's a guy named Andre Crouch. Anybody ever heard of Andre Crouch? Yep. That, that guy could play the piano. and he, He'd just sit at the piano and he'd riff and he'd play and... He wrote this song called I Don't Know Why. You ever heard that song? If you don't, I'm going to teach it to you real quickly, all right? It simply, it did like, it, and if you know me, join on in with me. He said, I don't know why Jesus loved me. Y'all remember that? I don't know. I don't know why he cared. You remember this? I don't know why he sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad, so glad he did. You learned it already now. Now you know it, right? I don't know why Jesus loved me. Come on, you can do it too. I see, yeah. I don't know why he cared. I don't know why he sacrificed. I don't know why he sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad, so glad he did. And then Andre Crouch asked a question. And, and here's how the question went. Uh, let me make sure I get it right. You can join me, same course. Where would I be if Jesus didn't love me? Come on, you can do it. Where would I be if Jesus didn't care? Where would I be if Jesus didn't sacrifice his life? Oh, but I'm glad, 
so glad he did. Y'all are being so kind to me for singing this song that's been on my heart all week. One more time, ready? I don't know why Jesus loved me. Oh, I don't know why he cared. And I don't know why he sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad. So glad he did. Can you give him a hand clap of praise? Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for sacrificing for us. Hey, let's pray over our offering together, okay, guys? God, we're going to give to your glory and to your kingdom.